Church Podcast. How good are you? Not surprisingly, there are several websites where you can test your goodness and get a rating. Maybe you're 40% good, maybe 60%. The trouble is, God's standard is pass-fail, and the only passing grade is 100%. The good news is that we have someone to take the test for us. New Services team leader Jeff Norris and lead teacher Randy Pope bring us this message entitled, There's More to It Than Being Good, which covers Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Thank you for joining us today. Well, we have just completed our Young Leaders series. Many of you have been a part of that and have greatly appreciated it. It was a year ago that uh, we had uh, Jeff Norris as part of the teaching team for the Young Leaders, and uh, he was, uh, at the end of the the day, uh, so much loved and appreciated, and we said, all right, let's go hire him. So we did. And uh, so now Jeff, as of last week, has begun uh, working with us on our staff, and we are thrilled to have Jeff to be with us. Um, to introduce him, uh, I've asked him to team teach with me today. He's going to take the first half, and I'm going to take the second, and he's going to bring you God's truth and, uh, uh, from uh, Romans chapter uh, 12, and then I'm going to come in and do more than just present the table. I want to teach the table briefly uh, so that we really understand what we're doing when we come to the table. So anyway, we'll come to that soon. You find a lot of detail in the bulletin, uh, some of the background. Jeff has been on staff with what's now called Crew. Many of you might know Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, he led uh, ministries in different places, including University of Georgia and most recently at the University of Alabama. God used him in a significant way to build a ministry. Now it's a leading ministry of Crusade. Uh, certainly one of the, if not the leading ministry of uh, crusade around the country. Uh, God has greatly gifted him and blessed him, and we're grateful to have him here. He's going to be helping us, and part of his job will be to give direction to our our, uh, uh, whole ministry of starting new worship services uh, among us. And you know, if you've been part of our of our effort uh, a few months ago launching into the last three years. One of the things we want to do is to keep beginning new services in uh, various venues at different times. And so uh, Jeff is going to help launch our very first, and then he'll be over the launch of our new ones. Uh, He'll actually uh, give attention to this first one, which will begin in September. It'll be the 19th. It'll be on Saturday night. We'll keep our Sunday night as it is. We'll start a Saturday night. It'll be in the hangar. It'll be at 5 o'clock, and we'd love to have many of you to seed that and to make that a great start. We'll have uh, a Kids Quest launching at the same time uh, that night, so we'll have Kids Quest. We'll have the nursery ministry and up through Kids Quest, so it should be a great time for families and any who would like to use the Saturday evening, so uh, please be aware of that. I think many of you would know would know Jeff through his family. His uh, wife is Rachel, who grew up in this church in the woods, Dexter and Martha, uh, her parents, and so been long-time uh, folks in this church, and uh, so I think many of you will recognize Jeff as he comes to teach. Jeff, come on up. I'd like to, uh, Jeff's got four kids. Uh, read about some of the detail of his uh, past and history and God's use of him, and we're grateful to have you here. I think it'd be good if we welcome him now. Let's say thanks for having him here. And now I'll, I'll pray for him, and then uh, you take over, then we'll tag, and I'll come back up the reek, and, and then we'll, we'll keep fighting, okay? I'll jump off the top rope here. There you go. All right, Father, thank you for the great privilege to team with Jeff now. We pray that you would uh, bring truth to us, uh, bear upon our lives in a way that would change us, 
and uh, get us ready to come to the table and be blessed there. So thank you so much for Jeff. Bless his life, his family, his ministry, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Randy. Um, well, I am thrilled to be here, and my family is as well. I pulled up early, got here a little early this morning, and uh, just was out in the parking lot sitting in my car, um, just looking at the church and remembering, thinking back, remembering uh, the first time I was in here, in this church, in this sanctuary. It was uh, my sophomore year in college at the university, and Rachel and I had been dating uh, not very long, fairly shortly, and, and I had come over here with her to visit her folks, and uh, we came to church here. And I can remember coming in these doors and thinking, man, this is, this is church. This is what church is all about, and God is moving here. And I remember leaving going, if I ever go into ministry, because I was starting to stir in my head a little bit about that, if I ever go into ministry, I want to work at that church. And so here, 18 years later, here we are, and uh, God is good, and he's cool how he works things out like that. And um, I, I keep thinking, you know, maybe it'll work with like a car or something. I'll say, God, I really want that car. And, uh, not 18 years from now, but now. And um, So anyway, um, I joke about that, but we really are glad to be here and excited, really excited about uh, the movement of God in this place and through these people. It's not just about in here, it's about out there and being a part of his work uh, through Perimeter Church. I can't wait uh, for the years to come. I read a quote this week that said this. It said, if you want to be followed and respected as a leader, then you must be willing to share your struggles and your wounds. So I thought, what better way to start my time at Perimeter than just, just some confession time. I'll just get it, get it on out there. And so uh, what I'll start with is to say this. I'll confess something to you. Um, I am a chronic sufferer of revert backism. You heard of that? If you haven't heard of it, it's okay because I clearly just made it up and that's not something anyone would come up with. Um, but revert backism, you probably understand what it means just by the, uh, the phrasing of it, but it's when we start something with great excitement, with great passion, enthusiasm, commitment, expectancy, joy, and then only a short time later, just in a short, short time, uh, we've reverted back, sometimes maybe longer, but we, at some point we revert back to the way we did things before. So, for example, for me, I can't tell you how many times I've started a diet or eating plan of some time, wanting to get in shape, and uh, just weeks, or let's be honest, days into it, I've, uh, I've reverted back to my old eating patterns and old ways. Um, or maybe it's working out, uh, working out and uh, joining a gym, right? You start uh, with uh, great anticipation, excitement, and commitment about joining this gym and getting your body in shape. And for me, I've done this numerous times. I start envisioning what my body's gonna look like six months from now and how ripped I'm gonna be. And then it's just only a few weeks into it that I revert back to, man, it's hard to get up at five o'clock kind of thing. And, and so I joke about this. Maybe this is just a, a, you know, me just confessing that I'm, I'm not very disciplined when it comes to things like that. Um, but I do think it, it does open a window a little bit into the, uh, the human heart and how we tend to do this. And we tend to do it spiritually as well. One of the things that would be true of most of us in this room who identify as a Christian, we can look back on our life and we can remember a time when we came to faith, when we began this Christian journey with God through Christ. And when we think back upon that time, maybe a specific, a specific day for you, you can remember, yeah, it was, it was June 28th of this year, 
particular year, whatever it was, or maybe it's not so much a day as a time frame when you know your life began to change and your heart began to change. And you think back on that time, and if if I were to go around to each of you who follow Christ and ask you, what was that time like? For most of you, if not all of you, you would say it was, a, it was a time that was marked by great excitement, great commitment, and joy, and expectation, passion, fervency, these kind of things. And what happens to us oftentimes, certainly I've seen it happen in my own life, is over the course of time, as life hits us in the face, we begin to slowly revert back to our old way of life. Not necessarily, does it, I'm not talking about losing your salvation or anything like that. I just mean, we just settle into what I would call moral reformation. Reforming ourselves morally rather than seeking to be daily transformed. And so the verse that, the only verse I'm using this morning is Romans 12.2, and you don't even have to turn there. It just says this. The first part of Romans 12.2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to suggest to you that one of the ways in which we conform to this world, and there's a lot of ways that we can conform. There's a lot of things that we could apply with that statement. How are we conforming to this world? We could talk about uh, how we might carry on relationships or maybe some habits that we've had, drunkenness, different things that commonly are associated with Uh, the way of the world, but one of the ways that I want to suggest to you that we can conform as the people of God to the pattern of this world is is to end up, many times unknowingly and not purposefully, but to end up doing religion just like the rest of the world does. To, to just merely do moral reformation. You see, uh, if you take every belief system in the world, if you take every religion in the world, every single one of them, doesn't matter which one it is. They're all going to present themselves differently on the surface. Different requirements, different practices, whatnot. But if you view it as an onion and you peel back the layers of the onion, you get down to the core of what all the religions of the world consist of. They're all birthed on or their, their bedrock for all of them is going to be moralism or man's performance. What is it that I can do in and of myself to present myself as good or acceptable to the God that it is that I believe in? Christianity is the only one that is not founded on that. When we begin to read in the scriptures and see what the gospel is all about, the gospel tells us and reminds us over and over again that it's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we can do. It's about Christ and everything he's done in our place. Yet for many of us, like I said, we revert back to the natural inclination of our heart, which is the reason all religions do it the same way at the bedrock of what they believe is because that's just, if you leave leave religion up to man and say create something, some type of spirituality, we're gonna come up with a moralistic performance system. We've shown it to be that way over and over and over again throughout the history of time. One of the evidences for Christianity to say this has gotta be from God is because it's so different from what we would come up with. That God would say that you can't get to me. There's no amount of goodness that you could ever do. There's no amount of moralism that you could ever perform or get. I've got to come and do it for you. And we go, huh? That's not how we function. Yet for many of us who've come to faith and have experienced the transforming power of God through Jesus, as life begins to hit us in the face, things get hard, life is busy, we get weighed down. Maybe there's things that have happened to us that have been difficult, 
What can happen is we slowly, unknowingly, and not purposefully settle into just moralistic religion. Friends, what we need daily is we need Jesus to do much more than morally improve us. We need him to daily, inwardly transform us. We need spiritual or inward transformation. This is the way of the kingdom of God. And this is what God has come to do. He hasn't come. He's not primarily interested with making us good. He's interested in making us new. New creations, different, transformed. Doing something in us that only he can do. You see, any, anybody can morally reform themselves. Anybody can be good. It does, you don't have to be spiritual to do that. If you've got enough discipline and self-will, you can, you can be a good person. You can give your money to good things. You can spend your time in good ways. You can volunteer at shelters or whatever it may be. You can live your life in such a way to where the world would look at you and say, that's a good man, that's a good woman. And you can begin to convince yourself that this is what God is wanting, is a lot of good moral living. And so I've entitled the talk this time that I have with you this morning, is there's more to it than being good. God's wanting your heart. Here's way more about your heart than your good record. One of the things that I've shared a lot with students over the years, uh, really the past decade, of oh, just an analogy that I've used with them, a story that I share with them to help them wrap their mind around the gospel and, and grace and what God's done for us, this transforming work that he wants to do within us. And so for some of you, this is gonna be easy. You're, you're, you are a student or you're recently out of school for others of you, you've been out for a while, so it might be hard to, to enter back into this world, but I want you to go back with me into your uh, school days at college, uh, if you will. And so let's say that you're taking a class. We'll say the class is geology. And you signed up for this class at the beginning of the semester, and you decided early on, before the class even started, that you're not even you're not gonna do anything. And so you don't go to class. You don't go to one class. You don't take a single note, clearly you don't, because you don't go to class, but then you don't buy the notes offline. Some of you are going, you can do that, really? They like, <laughs> you go to, I went to college before the internet. They, you can buy notes offline, this is crazy. So you can do that, but you, you don't do that. You don't buy the textbook, you don't do anything. You don't do one thing for the class. And for whatever reason, you decide, well, I, I need to show up for the final. And so at the end of the semester, you show up for the final, and uh, you get the test, you put your name on it as soon as you get it, and you begin to look through the test, and as you look through the test, this short answer, essay-type test, you begin to realize, I, I know nothing. There's no way I can even begin to fill this out. And so you're so incapable of doing anything for the test, you leave it on your desk and walk away. A couple days later, you get an email with your grades for the semester, and next to geology, it says 100 A+. And you haven't had character or integrity the entire semester, but suddenly you develop some, and you say, i got to go talk to my professor. <laughs> and so you show up in his office during his office hours, and you sit down before him, and you show him the email, and you say, this is a mistake. I just, I've got to be honest, I, I didn't do anything. And he says, no, it's not a mistake, that's, that's right. And you say, I don't, I don't think you understand. Like, I didn't come to one class, I didn't take one note, I didn't even buy the textbook, and I didn't answer one question on the test. Like, this is clearly a mistake. And he says, no, it's not. 
And you say, you, you gotta help me. I'm thoroughly confused right now. What, what's going on? Why did you do this? And he says, I took the test for you and I did it just because I wanted to. See, our moral endeavors, our, our moral reformation, the, the Bible tells us that those are filthy rags in his presence. The, they don't amount to anything. We, our record before God is a zero in the analogy sense. Yet here's what, the, reason I, the main reason I wanted to share that story with you is this. For many Christians, I'm talking about people who have come to faith and are in the church, certainly non-Christians don't understand this and think that their moral record means something to God, but for many Christians, we revert back into thinking that it's really about what I do and how I live and behavior modification, and, and we settle into that, and it slowly becomes less about God and more about our record. And so the, as the story would go, it would be like this. For many of us, we go, oh, yeah, sure, I failed the test. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I mean, I wasn't a zero. I mean, I did some good things, and I've lived my life pretty well, and I've done some great things for God, and I've even led some people to faith. I mean, I, yeah, I failed, but, I mean, maybe a 40. And so, yeah, I need Jesus, and Jesus, certainly, he passes me. He, he, he gets me to a 70, a 75, and, and so, yeah, if I die, I go to heaven, and he's gotten me in. But I've got to live the rest of my life showing with my goodness how worthy I was of his grace. And so over the course of time, maybe I might be in the 90s by the time I'm 60 or 70, but I'm, I'm getting there. And for many of us, this is our view of Christianity. And so as a result, our understanding and our comprehension, comprehension of God's transforming grace is pretty limited because we think we've actually brought a good bit to the table. But when we begin to see that every day, even as followers of Christ, that every single day, I don't bring anything to the table. The gospel is needed in my heart today just as much as the day that I first believed. And so what I need to be reminded of every single day is that just as much today, I come to the table as a, as, with a zero, with a, with a nothing slate, and I say, God, just as much as today is the first day that I believe, you are all that I need, you are all that, I can, uh, that can do anything good within me, you're the only one that produces anything good within me, and yes, morality will come out of, out of me, but not because I'm trying to impress you, but because I love you in response to your love. Because you're doing such a transforming work in me, this inward transformation, only something that you can do Things are happening and there's a deep abiding love relationship with God that is happening on a daily basis. And I would ask you this morning, how many of you would say, that's me right now? I'm experiencing the transforming power of God's love and grace in my life every single day. And how many of you would say, no, that's, that's not where I'm at? And if you answer that with, no, that's not where I'm at, then I would say, I would encourage you to examine your heart and begin to look at, well, maybe I've settled into a religiosity of moral reformation, just this, just be goodism that has very little to do with God and mostly about me. Many in the world today, within our churches even, are perpetuating and even promoting a faith a Christian faith, calling it Christianity, that really, more than anything else, it's just a self-improvement strategy. Come to God, embrace Jesus, and he'll make your life great, and he'll make you better, and he'll make you everything that you long to be. Now, you see the error in this? Somewhere along the way, we've turned church into something about us. 
And we treat God as a means to an end. And we say, God, you exist for me. You exist to make me good. You exist to make my life work. You exist to make everything in my life be what I anticipate it to be. And along the way, God has gone, wait, what? This whole thing is about me. I'm not a means to an end for your glory. I am the end for my glory. Your life is to be oriented around me in such a way that I transform you to my will, to my purposes, to my kingdom. Tim Keller says this. He says, behavioral compliance to rules without heart change, without transformation, will be superficial and fleeting. I trust, I don't, I hope this is not true, but I, I assume that it probably is, that there's, in a room this size with this many people, there's many of us who are just playing the religious game and just trying to, trying to morally reform ourselves. And what God is inviting you and me into this morning is to say, come and meet with me. Let me do something in you that only I can do. Let me transform you into my image. And it's a whole lot more than just being good. It's about being like Jesus. See, let me close with this. What our nation needs, what our world needs, what the lost world around us who don't know Christ needs is they don't need a bunch of Christians to come play church and just be good people. What the dying world around us needs is they need people who will come and encounter and meet with and experience and be transformed by the living God and then be agents of transformation that you wouldn't take to the world good moralistic behavior, but that what you and I would take to the world is the living God through Jesus Christ to say this is the God, the one true God, who will bring transformation into your life and into the world around us in ways that we could only imagine. And for, for many of us, we go, that Christianity is foreign to me. And it needs to become the norm. There was a sociologist in 2005, a guy named Christian Smith, who coined a phrase. He said this. He did a study, an, an elaborate study on the American church. And what he ended up concluding is that for many, and he had numbers and data behind it, but for many in the American church, we have settled into what he called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic, we're good people, don't cuss, don't drink, don't have sex before marriage, don't do all these things. That's Christianity. Just a bunch of rules. Moralistic, and then if you abide by them, therapeutic. Because when you live good, it makes you feel good. So you feel better about yourself when you're better than the person next to you. So moralistic, therapeutic, and then you throw in God at the end. Just this deistic, not really personal, not really transformative, not really uh, intimate, but just God is in there. So moralistic, therapeutic, deism. And if that's what you've been caught up in, it's not Christianity. God is inviting you to meet with him and to let him transform you inwardly in a way that only he can. So would you come back to that if you've been away from it? Or some of you may be sitting there going, man, I've been calling myself a Christian for a long time, but I've really just been somebody who's just morally reforming myself. 
I want to come to Jesus. I want to let him do what only he can do. That's part of what this table is about, is reminding us that we bring nothing. No pun intended, but we bring nothing to the table. Not our good works, not our track record, nothing. And we proclaim together as a body, I I only need Jesus. He is my only hope and stay. He's the rock on which my life is built, and he is all that I need. So let me pray as Randy leads us in that direction. Father, thanks for this time together this morning and thanks for this church and all that you're doing in it and through it. And would you be so kind and gracious as to remind us as often as we need it, every single day, throughout the day, of your grace, of what you've done on our behalf and how desperately we need you to continually transform us. We love you and we thank you. I pray for Randy now as he leads us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Great job, friend. So simple yet uh, so profound. Jeff raised the question at the end, how many of you and evaluate yourself and where do you stand? And I bet some of us are saying, I want that. I, I I bet the vast, vast, vast majority of every person here is saying, I believe it's all about Jesus. It's not Jesus plus, it's, it's Jesus, but how do you make yourself, how do you get to the point where you are literally living that way? How do you get there? Well, there's where the really good news comes. And if you've heard this story, well, best way I can illustrate, I learned that from a man through an illustration. Some of you heard me give a message that includes this story where I went to him and I said, I see you walk with God in a way I've never seen. I want to see, see my life like your life, how do you live such a yielded, devoted, dead life and Christ alive in you? How do you do And that's when he asked me to do push-ups. Yes, how many your max? I told him, and then he said, all right, say, so you got to that max, and you finished that number. And I had the means, and I reached down to you, and it's your last push-up. It's your, the last you can get in. And I say, I'll give you a million dollars if you can do one more push-up. Think you could do one more? I said, well, probably adrenaline would kick in and probably could get one more so you get that last one and I mean you are shaking to get it finalized and you get it and you're excited about your million and I reach down and I say five million more if you can do one more push-up you think you could do one more I said well I would try and he said you know what happened about the time you bent your elbow boom you'd hit your chest on the floor and you'd probably look up at me and you'd say I can't He looked at me and he said, Randy, when you get to the place that you say with your moralism, with your goodness, with your effort, with everything you've got, you can't attain the favor of God. You cannot make you better. Only God does that for you. Now here's the question, okay, if I believe that, I want to live like that. How do I do that? God gave us an answer. And I think the vast majority of the Christian church today is not really recognizing what this answer was designed to be. It's the table. We call it communion, the Lord's table. Doesn't matter what you want to call it. He said, I'm going to give you a table, and that table is going to do something for you. It is going to be transrational. And because you're such a rational people, you're going to discount it. But it's a picture. I'm going to leave you a picture. In In the upper room that night, Jesus said to his disciples, here's the picture. Take it and stare at it. It's me. 
It's picturing what I am doing for you. Stare at it. Can you imagine the apostle saying, I don't need a picture. Don't, don't give me the picture. I don't need a snapshot. He said, no, no, put it in your wallet. Carry it with you. Here's my picture. No, 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 I don't need it. I'll remember you. No, you won't. You'll get in the thick of life and you'll say, oh, yeah, I got to be better. I got to be better. And you'll forget all about Jesus. So he said, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a meal. And it's something that you will take repetitively and it'll constantly be, remember this word, a remembrance. It'll be a remembrance of the redemptive work that I have done for you. That's what's going to call you back. So I'm going to just put up very quickly three things. This picture, remember it's a picture. The picture tells a story. Remember a picture says more than what? thousand words. He said, I'm not going to give you a thousand word document to carry around, read it every week, every month. No, I'm going to give you a picture. You'll take the picture, you'll eat, and you'll remember. But unfortunately today, people are eating with no remembrance. It's one of the reasons I ask all of our venues today. I said, please, let's this time, let's take it together and let's all take it from the cup and take the bread so that we have time to think about what we're doing. So, Three insights from the picture. The first one, just very, very quickly. The picture can only be clearly understood when viewed with the historic setting, within the historic setting of the Passover. So we have to understand the Passover. I'm meeting with non-Christians week in and week out. And with every person I meet with, I explain the Passover. Because I sit there and say, I'm not really sure how they're going to really get this if they don't get the history from which it came. And I tell the story of Exodus 12 and 13. Most of you know the story, but some of you don't. Like the men I meet, I, I, I don't, I've never heard this story. What is it? Well, you know about Israel and, and Egypt? Not really. So maybe you don't know either, but let me tell you, the people of God called Israel was literally, I mean, trapped. They were, they were slaves to the Egyptian people. And God said, Moses, I'm going to... I'm going to set you free. You're going, to, you're going to be free from this. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give 10 plagues, and the last plague is going to be the death of the first male-born of every person that is not covered with blood. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, you're going to take a table. You're going to take a meal. And you're going to take a little lamb. It's got to be a male lamb. It's got to be without blemish. And we're going to kill that lamb. You and each family will take that lamb. You will kill it. Take the blood. And even as Leviticus 17, 11 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so this male lamb without blemish, you'll put that blood in a bowl and you'll wash your hands as you confess your sins. And that's going to picture to you that that lamb actually died for your sins as you confess your sins. And what you're going to do is you're going to put some blood on the top of your doorpost. And when the death angel comes by, if he sees blood, pass by you if there is no blood then there is death of the first male born of that family all of that to say there is redemption in the blood it's what I'm going to do to rescue you you can't rescue yourself you've got to let me rescue you and so here is what we read when we come to the book of Exodus chapter 12 verse 14 reads like this now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And so what we're talking about here is the idea of, of there being redemption, release, and remembrance. And so I'm going to put those three words up, and I want you to remember those. 
There is redemption. It's the blood of Christ that redeems us. There is release where we are released from an old life and taken into a new life. And now we need to remember that release. So that takes us to the second of three thoughts, and that is that Christ intended that the updated picture that he leaves would serve as both a remembrance and a proclamation. It is both. In other words, the story is now being updated. So here comes Jesus, and here is John writing, the apostle John, and he writes of John the Baptist, a different person, who sees Jesus coming, and he points, he says, ah, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And I'll say to my friends that I'm trying to help understand, do you understand what was being said throughout the, all the years of the Israelites? The whole story was that there's got to be a lamb. It wasn't that little male lamb without blemish. It was this male lamb without blemish. And without the shedding of his blood, we cannot have redemption. We will never know release but we've got to remember that we do have redemption and that we do have release from the sin nature. We've got release from it so we don't have to obey it. The importance found in 1 Corinthians 11, it's put this way, very familiar. For I received from the Lord, and this is Apostle Paul speaking, that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So past, okay, blood of animals, no longer. It's now the blood of Christ. No more shedding of blood, so we have to change the elements. So now we take bread and we take the drink and no longer shed blood, but it's still an eating rite. It still says the same thing. It's to remember the same thing, redemption and release. Redemption and release. Now here is the heart of it all. Remember I said it is a transrational endeavor? Here's what happens. This is called a means of grace. So when we take the table with faith, now remember Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to have our faith based on truth. So what this is, is an opportunity to build faith. What's ironic about it, we can't take this without faith because it's symbolic. But when we do take it by faith, it strengthens our faith. That's what's so amazing about this. So two things happen. Our faith is strengthened and grace is given to us. Why wouldn't we come to the table often and say, let me take it, let me take it. Well, it's not like, okay, if I drink and eat something, something's going to happen to me. No, it's, it's going to remind us of the truth that is going to hit us and transform us. That's when grace and faith become a part of our experience. So what we're going to do, we're going to come to the table now, and we're going to have this as remembrance. It's remembering the past story, that we've been crucified with Christ, we've been indwelt with Christ. But it's also going to proclaim a future story, and that's one yet to be finished, and that is we will be sustained by Christ. 
from now on. That's what we want to remember. That's when we can say, okay, God, I can't. Only you can. That's how we get to the end of the push-ups every day throughout the day and not just forget it. Come to the table. Keep coming to the table. Keep coming to the table. Last thought. The picture was left with a warning of specific consequences for abusing the table. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29, it says, Therefore, whoever, uh, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Uh, verse 27, we should have had first. Let's go back to 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And so what it's saying is simply this. Uh, we should only be taking it if we are true believers. And by the way, there are believers who are members of the church. There are believers who are not members of the church. But according to the history of the church and the belief of Scripture is that this table is only for Christians who are members of churches. They're under the authority of oversight, loving oversight, and they have authority to give it out to only members. That's why I keep pressing people, don't just come to church. Be members, if not here, somewhere else. Find someone you can come under their leadership and take the table rightly. So if you come to the table, don't think like so many, oh, I'm struggling, I can't take the table, I have sin, I'm struggling. No, if you're saying, I don't want that sin and I'm fighting it now, I need help in the fight, come to the table. If you're saying, I'm fighting this sin, I'm giving up to it and I'm going to live in it and I don't care what you say, then I don't care if you're a member of the church in good standing, don't take the table. You eat and drink judgment to yourself. For you that are not yet believers, obviously you wouldn't take the table. Let it pass, but sit there and just, before God, say, God, let me know you if you're real. Let me, let me get to know you. And our great joy and desire will be see you soon at this table taking it together with us. So I'm going to now ask that we prepare the table as I lead you in prayer. We prepare our hearts, the table gets prepared, and then we'll take the table together, okay? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this table, and we ask that we might now find our hearts prepared. We want to ask you to do something very transrational, giving us your grace and giving us stronger faith. And Lord, we don't pray that's going to happen in such a mysterious way that there's no connection to the truth. So God, we want to fix our minds and hearts on the truth. We want to embrace it, and we want to use this table to help us to do that, to be a remembrance. So cleanse our hearts now, prepare us for the table, and we pray that this is going to be a rich meal for all that can take it. We pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.